Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study that we post every Wednesday night, and that is for people who cannot be with us in person at our Wednesday evening Bible classes at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, we know that there are people in the even in the Omaha area who cannot be with us at those times, but we know also that there are people who listen across the country and literally around the world. They want to be in God's Word. They want, they want to receive some Bible teaching. And so we're thankful to be able to teach God's Word through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful you're there. We're thankful we can be here with you as we continue to study God's Word together. And through these Wednesday night Bible class podcasts, we have gone through a great deal of the New Testament scriptures to this point, and we'll continue today. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we do encourage you to come and be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. The church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha, 3606 North 108th Street. Bible classes begin on Wednesday evening at 6.30. We have Bible classes on Sunday morning at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30, and then Sunday evening, we come back together for another period of worship and Bible study at 6 o'clock each Sunday evening. Now, you're welcome to any and all of these services. And again, we do encourage you to come and be with us in person. Check us out. Get to know us. Let us get to know you. Study God's Word with us and grow spiritually with us as we strive to understand and then live by the teachings of His Word faithfully and obediently and consistently. We also encourage you to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, and click on the podcast button if you have not already done so and sign up for our podcasting. It is free. It always will be free. And when you sign up, you will receive automatically, consistently, daily, a whole lot of Bible study opportunities right to your smartphone or computer or whatever smart device you choose. And again, it's free. It always will be free. We hope that you'll take advantage of that opportunity to get deeper into God's Word on a consistent basis. Now, we have, as I said earlier, we have gone through a great deal of the New Testament scriptures to this point, and we went through 3 John. We finished 3 John last time, and I'm sorry, 3 John, we finished Jude last time. We went through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Jude, and uh, we finished up the short one-chapter letter written by Jude, by God's inspiration, last time. Now, I've sort of pondered where to go next, because as I said, we have studied through a great deal of the New Testament scriptures to this point through these podcast Bible studies. I believe we actually started probably with the book of Galatians or Paul's letter to the Galatian congregations, and then we went all the way through the rest of the New Testament, all the way through Jude. I hesitate to move into the book of Revelation because of its apocalyptic language nature, and uh, it's probably easier if we did a face-to-face Bible class, or maybe you studied through a written textual study, and I have written one of those. But I thought probably it would be better if we moved back to a different book from the New Testament. And I'm thinking about it, I thought, well, let's get into one of the gospel accounts. And I think perhaps the gospel according to John is a good place for us to go at this time. 
John is a unique gospel account to a great extent from the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as synoptic gospels. That's kind of a technical term, but basically they are, it, it simply talks about how they really cover a great deal of the same ground, every single one of them, and they present it from three different perspectives, obviously the perspectives of the individual penmen, but they're all writing God's very word by inspiration through the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Uh, Peter also talks about that. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of private interpretation, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so when we're reading Scripture, we're not reading the words of the ones who wrote it down. They, are simp- they were simply men chosen by God and inspired or guided by the Holy Spirit to make sure that they got it correct, that they were writing God's very word. And so that's when you look at 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, and it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. What that literally means is all scripture is God-breathed, and the sense being that the words are coming across God's very lips. Well, of course, he used, again, individual men as penmen to write down what, what they wrote were his very words. Okay, now we come to the gospel account according to John. John, as I said, stands somewhat unique among the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As I said, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they cover to a great extent predominantly the same, the same ground, the same material, and they'll cover the same events, but again, we get the bigger picture because there are details that are covered that are covered in, in in some of them that are not covered in all of them, but also we get the bigger picture from from uh, the, the perspectives of the individual writers, as they were guided by God to write what He wanted them to write. John, though, stands alone in that it does not necessarily cover all of the same ground during the ministry of Jesus, going, even going all the way back to his birth upon this earth, uh, and then during his three years or so of public ministry upon this earth, it does, it, does not, it, it does not cover all of those same particulars, those specific uh, places and events and days, but in the general way, it covers that same three-year ministry. But John focuses, you know, in a different way upon that ministry than Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. Now, it's interesting when we begin to read chapter 1 in John's gospel account, then, and by the way, this is not John the Immerser, the cousin of Jesus. This is John the Apostle writing this by God's guidance. And so, the first few verses give us a, well, I guess maybe a more focused perspective on who Jesus is and who he was as he came to this earth as the Christ, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior. Verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. We see Jesus perhaps in a fuller, deeper kind of form of identity in these five words than we might necessarily pick up in one fell swoop, so to speak, one simple, short, immediate context in the other three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And who is this Word? If we drop down to verse 14, we read, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness to him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And so there's no question that in verse 1 of John chapter 1, when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that it's speaking of Christ. It's speaking of Jesus as he came in physical form, as he's speaking of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Christ. It's interesting that it also identifies Jesus in a perhaps a more direct way than we normally see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as being God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now again, verse 14 and 15 tell us without question, he who is being referred to as the Word was and is the Christ, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior. So there, are, there is one particular religious group that is fairly significant in size, and they do a great deal of teaching, and they really, I believe, mess up on this particular section of Scripture. They do not believe that Jesus was there from the beginning, in the beginning, from the beginning, that he is as eternal as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are eternal. They do not believe that Jesus was, or the Christ, if we want to refer to him that way, was always God, eternal, without beginning, just as he is eternal without end. They believe that God the Father created God the Son. I believe I'm getting that accurately. That's not what this verse of Scripture says, or this text of Scripture says. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And notice that, that verse 1 says, not only was he with God, but he sa- it says he was God. Now, I believe this other religious group that I believe is way off base. In fact, I believe they teach false doctrine on this point that perhaps we'll find, we'll find them out to be condemned for it in eternity. Now, again, I'm not the final judge, but I believe what they're, what they're really doing here in denying the total deity, the total, the total um, reality of, of, of the eternal nature of Christ 
I, I believe that is extremely and very, very serious false teaching denying the fullness of Christ. Now, this verse of Scripture declares Christ as being God, fully deified, just as God the Father is full deity and God the Spirit is full deity. In their translation, and they have published their own translation of the New Testament, I believe, I believe they changed this particular wording from in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God to the Word, theirs reads, I think pretty accurately along this line, the Word was a God. Now understand, when you start changing that, then what does that do to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it talks about and states directly, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And all the other verses of Scripture that identify God as one God, one true God. Now, when we're talking about the Godhead, the fullness of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it's difficult for us from our finite uh, abilities of reasoning and experience to think of three being one. And we've come up with, people have come up with all kinds of different illustrations to try to get the idea across. They're crude illustrations in regard to, we're talking about God here, but they're illustrations that we can relate to, at least to some extent. And so someone has said, you go to the grocery store, you buy a carton of eggs, you open it up, you see an egg, you call that an egg there. But now that, that shell is not what you eat, that's, the, that's what you see as the essence of the egg, and, and so you call it an egg. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix an egg today for breakfast, but you don't eat that shell. That's not a fun experience at all to bite down and start crunching into eggshells. So what do you do? You crack that shell and you then drop the yolk and the white into a skillet or a pan and you begin to prepare it for eating. Now when you look at that egg yolk and that egg white in the pan, what do you call that? You call that an egg. Now you also called the egg in the shell an egg, and it is. You crack it open, you drop the contents of that shell into a skillet, and you call it an egg. But there's no more shell there. But you call that an egg. And then if you were to separate the yolk from the white, and you say, okay, I'm going to uh, fix an omelet maybe, but I'm just going to fix an omelet out of the white. Yeah, or you're going to mix up maybe just the yolk into some kind of, of uh, some kind of, of, of recipe to fix a, a cake or cookies or something like that. Well, you you say well whether it's the yolk whether it's the white you say yeah I, yeah I, this this calls for an egg. But again, you're looking at only the yolk or you're looking at only the white. Uh, there, it's an egg. So we understand the three components of an egg, but we call every single one of those components, at times at least, an egg. We think of an apple. 
What do you look at when you see the apple? You see the skin, don't you? But what you actually want to get into is the meat of the apple that is inside the skin. Some people will not eat the skin at all. They'll peel that off. They'll take a knife, uh, a paring knife of some kind, or just you know a pocket knife or whatever, and they'll, they'll peel that skin off because they don't want to eat the skin. They want the meat that is inside the apple. When you look at the meat inside the apple separated from the skin, it's a completely different appearance, isn't it? But then you see the core also. And the core is made up of a, a center that holds seeds within it. And within those seeds, if you plant them into the ground, comes an apple tree. And that apple tree produces apples. Well, so you, you look at an apple and you see three components, don't you? You see the, you see the peel, you see the meat, you see the core. Yet we call each of those, to one degree or another, an apple. Now, we probably designate the apple core as the core of the apple, but it's still part of the apple. And so you've got three components or three parts within one basic fruit. Well, I, as I said, this is a crude comparison to trying to compare this or illustrate God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as being one God. But it is something it's an illustration that we can relate to. We could think of a whole bunch of others as well. But hopefully this helps you understand John chapter 1 and verse 1 when it's speaking of Christ and saying, in the beginning was the Word. And again, verses 14 and 15 makes, leaves no doubt as to who is being referred to or identified as the Word here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes into talking about the creation back in Genesis chapter 1. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. When we look at Genesis chapter 1, it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But then it also refers to, in the next verse or two, and the Spirit was on the face of the waters. And then in verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image. Well, now, in whose image is referred to in the plural pronoun, our, there? He's not talking, obviously, he's not talking to the angels because they are separate and distinct from God. And they were not involved in the creation process as being creators themselves. But God says, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image. Who is the our there? Who is the us there in that verse? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And here John the Apostle writes by inspiration, guided by God to write his very word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and that Word is Christ. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Christ, God the Son, was right there in the beginning, taking part in the creation with God the Father and God the Spirit. 
we look at Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. And I want us to look at verses 3 through 5 and then drop down to verse 9. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And then verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And of course, God is God. We look also at, at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Hebrews chapter 1, and I want us to look at verses 2 and 3. And the Hebrews writer writes this, has in the last days, well, let's go back to verse 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days whom he has, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. God's Son. God the, God the Son was right there with God the Father in the creating business. Verse 3 goes on and says, who being the brightness of his glory, the brightness of God's glory, and the express image of his person, do you see the oneness of the Godhead here? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Well, then we also look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we can read verses 5 through 7, and again, we see that God the Son was right there at the creation and taking part in the creation process, just as John the Apostle identified him as doing here in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And so Colossians 1, beginning with verse 15, the Apostle Paul writes, he, speaking of Christ, you can go back in the context and see that without, without question, he is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. Well, there again, we read the oneness of God. He is the image of the invisible God. Notice that the Hebrews writer said the express image of God. He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Who's being spoken of here? Christ, God's Son. And he is before all things, He's eternal, and in him all things consist. Now, these are statements that we would normally think of as being attributed to God. And yet, here the Apostle Paul is referring to Christ, God the Son, in these particular statements. Now, also the Hebrews writer 
said the same thing. John the Apostle, as we've read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, said the same thing. And so we've got three different inspired writers in these examples that we've looked at here, these textual examples, and they're all saying the same thing. John the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, and the Hebrews writer. Well, why are they all saying the same thing? about Christ being God the Son, being eternal, right there in the beginning, in the creation process. Nothing was made that was made without him. All things were made through him because this is how God God wants us to understand Christ. He is one of the three that make up the one God. He is God the Son. And he is just as eternal as God the Father and God the Spirit. We come back to John chapter 1 then. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And so when God said in Genesis 1:26, "Let us make man in our image." I think we understand exactly what he's saying. He's talking to the fullness of the Godhead, to the fullness of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now John's referring here to God the Son, Christ. In him was life, verse four says, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, John's writing about Christ in the past tense, because as John is inspired to write this particular gospel account, Jesus, the Christ, has already gone back to heaven. He's already died on the cross. He's already been put in the tomb. He's already resurrected from that grave. He's already appeared for 40 days, risen to hundreds and hundreds of individuals, and he's already ascended back to heaven. And so John is writing here, in him was life, and life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness did not comprehend it. And that, again, is a past tense statement. Jesus came to call mankind out of sin and into forgiveness and salvation through him as God would grant them such. Now, when Jesus came, he came specifically to the Jewish people. They were the ones who had the Old Testament prophecies. They were the ones who were supposedly looking for the coming Savior. And yet, when he came, and to call them to repentance and to come to him as the Savior through whom God would grant them forgiveness and salvation and eternal life, the vast, vast, vast majority of them did not believe in Christ, did not believe in Jesus, rejected him as the Savior, the prophesied Messiah, He came to call them out of the darkness 
of the sin of this world, but for the most part, and I'm talking again about the vast, vast, vast majority of the Jewish people, they stayed in the darkness, did not come into the light of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how sad a reality that is. But at the same time, it is a reality with mankind in general in our world right now. We'll pick up with verse 6 next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son to this world to bring the gospel message of forgiveness and salvation through him to all mankind. Thank you, Father, for sending him to the cross as the one time for all time perfect sacrifice to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. Praise, glory, honor, and thanks be to you, Father. And guide us and guide everyone everywhere. We pray to come to the realization that Jesus is our Savior, that he is God the Son, and to come to him for your forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. We pray this, Father. We do. Please forgive us and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.